Uh, and welcome to Christ City Church. Thank you for tuning in. I um, uh, want to um, introduce our, uh, one of our most popular series that we begin today. My most important question, or MMIQ for short. The premise of this series is that too often churches ask us to check our doubts at the door and to leave our most important questions behind. But the reality is that we all have deep questions that we have wrestled with throughout our lives. At Christ City Church, we believe that when we wrestle with our doubt or questions of faith, it actually deepens our faith. We believe that faith and doubt often grow in the same field. One of the most beautiful lines in the Bible is in Mark 9, when a man desperate to save his sick son, he meets Jesus and says to Jesus, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. That captures the the paradox of faith. There are things that we know and cling to, and there are things that we don't yet know and may never know. During this series, people in our community here at Christ City Church will be sharing how they have wrestled through their most important questions. Some of them are questions that they've navigated in their past. Other questions are ones that are very present in their lives right now. We are grateful for their courage and their honesty and transparency and this unique way that they display to us the ways that they hold to Jesus even in the midst of uncertainty. The anchoring passage for our My Most Important Question series, it comes out of that passage, Mark 9, 17 through 24. And so I invite you to stand as you're able to reverence the reading of God's word. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, I pray that you'd be with those that will come and share their stories and their questions with us. Help us to receive them and steward them well. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Kathy, and I'm an elder at Christ City Church, D.C. I've been part of this community since 2015. My most important question is, how does it all come together? The it is all that encompasses events in in our world, in our lives. The it's that make no sense. Not only the ones that cause hate, division, chaos, and pain, but the ones that create love, 
unity, order, and wholeness. I intellectually get that God is love and that the origin of destruction is a result of being in a fallen world due to sin. But I'd like a clear explanation of God's sense of order and purpose. There's a scripture in Romans 8.28 that reads, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How does it all come together? Many people seek to find their purpose in life, whether it's personally, professionally, or in any other ways. Through my life as a Jesus follower, I believe I found my general purpose that feeds into many of the things I do. My purpose is to support those who are marginalized, individuals who need a voice or are finding their voice. For me, the irony is that as a very young child, and to this day, I stutter. I struggle to find my voice because of it. Stuttering is a neurophysiological communication disorder, a breakdown between the brain and the motor speech system that can present as a combination of mild, moderate, and severe repetitions, prolongations, and silent blocks. But the severity can be complicated by secondary behaviors such as fear of talking shown through tension, struggle, and avoidance of words and situations. No magic wand, special pill to make it go away. There are ways to min minimize the stutters, but no cure yet. Growing up, my stuttering was rarely mentioned by my parents, siblings, relatives, friends, coaches, teachers. Even though it was apparent, I struggled with talking. I remember as an elementary school age kid blocking on words while trying to get a thought out and my older brother said, spit it out. And my dad slapped him across the face. I know my brother meant no harm and my dad in his own way was trying to protect me from teasing. But the shame, guilt and horror I felt at that time confirmed that being a stutterer was so bad that no one dared talk about it. Words that easily came out for people's, from people's mouths got stuck in mine. I had so much to say, but couldn't say it or couldn't say it the way I wanted. I struggled with finding my voice and having the courage to use it. I prayed and bargained with God to take my stutter away, but he never did. I didn't get speech therapy until I was a college undergrad. And soon after my communication world opened up. Speech therapy didn't take my stutter away, but it helped me understand my speech patterns and the dysfunctional ways I approached talking and how I felt about myself. What I didn't know then that I know now is that my stuttering led me to my profession as a speech language pathologist and on to ultimately finding my purpose of supporting those who are marginalized. It makes sense to me now that God worked my stuttering for the good according to his purpose. He has shown me how I can show empathy and compassion to those who do not have a voice because I've experienced this in my own way. As humanity slowly tries to stutter its way out of a global pandemic, with some people striving for racial and social justice and equality, some people trying to save our planet some putting together the fragments of our broken nation after a contentious election and an attempted insurrection, nothing seems to be working together. 
it seems like our world is stuck on the syllable of injustice, of injustice, repeating the same things over and over again. I ask God how and when justice will happen. It seems as if we take two steps forward and one step back. But this then leads to my question, how does this all come together? My purpose joined with others, coming together with God's purpose. Having faith in Christ doesn't tie things up into nice, neat little bows, but there are many loose ends we may not get to tie up. No satisfying res resolution of happy endings. Sometimes the endings are tragic and painful. I came to that conclusion after the third death by suicide in eight years of people who I either knew well or was ministering to in their crisis. One of those people was a dear friend of many here at Christ City who lost her battle with suicidal thoughts, ideation, and attempts. The church body came together in love, unity, order, and wholeness. Dozens of us prayed. We intervened. Like the church in the book of Acts, we shared ourselves, our being, our time, and our resources to care for her. I believed Romans 8. But then just as we thought things had come together to us who loved Jesus and to whom, who, whom were called according to his purpose, we received word that she'd passed by her own hand. All the love, prayers, time, and resources could not help her overcome her decision to end her life. I was shocked, I was disillusioned, and mad at God. How could he lead us on like this? How could he give us hope that this will come together according to his purpose? I thought he was the God of life. How did this fit in with what it says in Mark 9? This is where the father pleaded with Jesus to heal his son and said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me with, help me overcome my unbelief. Did this happen because of my unbelief? What is the right formula of belief? Is there such thing? Was God gaslighting me? How does it all come together? Sometimes when I see God, I get an image. In this case, a simplistic one. He shows me his purpose is like the water cycle where the rain falls from the sky to the ground, runs down through smaller streams into lakes, then moves down rivers into estuaries and bays then the ocean and finally back into the atmosphere. It's not just the flow of the water that matters, but the effects of it, where it lands, how it soaks in, and the living and non-living things that are impacted by it. We each have a part that feeds into the greater good that we may never see directly or even in our lifetime. In Isaiah 5, 8 and 10 through 11, it states, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return it without watering the earth and baking it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So what we may only see and be able to confirm is what we experience in our capacity, which doesn't compare to God's realm. Our triune God is not bound by time, space, or circumstance. Scripture says he is the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God's character in many Christian cultures is said to be omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere, and omnibenevolent, all-goodness. I'm resolved to accept this as a mystery. I know along with that comes uncertainty and the inability to control some things and to be okay with questions that go unanswered. God is okay with me asking questions, having doubts, and allowing me to sense his Holy Spirit presence, to experience him through people, his word, nature, gentle nudges, and connect the dot moments, even if my time-bound self doesn't to recognize, to treasure those wink-wink, nudge-nudge moments where he lets me know he's still here and with me. So how does it all come together? I don't know exactly, but I know I, we have a part to play. What happens in one place may reverberate somewhere else in another time. I'm living into this truth every day of my life. Hello, Christ City. My name is Todd Grabowski, and my most important question is, what happens after we die? Now, I know this is one of those big questions that many have probably considered in some form or another, and until recently, I had only really thought about it in a detached and kind of abstract way, almost like how a philosopher might think about the question. But within the last year or so, it's really become a more visceral question for me, something that actually keeps me awake some nights thinking about the implications of it. Now, I think there are a few things that are causing this to be top of mind for me in the last year or so. The COVID-19 pandemic is certainly one of those things, um, but more specifically, I became a dad uh, during the pandemic. So on August 4th, 2020, my wife, Beck, gave birth to our son, August Harlan Grabowski. Uh, we call him Gus, and I think he's awesome. And I've loved being a dad. Um, it's been a delight to watch him learn and grow and come into his own. Um, but all that being said, I, becoming a dad has also unexpectedly brought me to a place where I'm considering my own mortality way more than I thought I would, um, and more than I'd ever had before. Um, so with every milestone that we count in Gus's life, one month old, three months old, babbling, starting to walk or crawl, he's not walking yet, um, it almost feels like a clock counting down the days, months, hours of my own life. And so it has me asking myself more and more what happens after we die, just because it doesn't feel as far as it does or as it did in the past. So there's one other thing that's been having me preoccupied with the hereafter and what that means here and now. Um, so earlier this year, on May 8th, I turned 36 years old. And I'm kind of an introvert and we had COVID restrictions. So Beck lined up kind of the ultimate low-key birthday for me. And to give you an idea of what that looks like, um, here are some of the highlights from what was, you know, a, a great birthday. So we started things off with delicious bagel sandwiches from Bullfrog Bagels. I had a bacon, egg, and cheese on an everything bagel, and I had uh, a delicious cup of coffee adorned with sweet cream creamer, just how I like it. Um, and after delicious breakfast, uh, 
we took Gus out for his first bike ride. Um, now I love riding my bike, so this was a real special thing for me. So we attached his bike seat, and we strapped him in, and we put his little helmet on, and we headed out towards the Anacostia Riverwalk Trail. And we just went on a short ride, um, but it was a gorgeous day, and we had a blast. Um, and then after the bike ride, we had lunch, which we ordered from a Filipino restaurant called Pogi Boy. Now I'm half Filipino, and so I'd been trying to get in touch with my, my roots. And so we ordered Filipino food. We had lumpia, which is pork-filled spring rolls, and I ate a pogi burger, which is like the this decadent double patty cheese and caramelized onion uh, burger. It was heavenly. And so after we recovered from our food comas, um, we met up with some family that are local over at Haynes Point, where we played some mini golf. Um, if you didn't know that there's mini golf at Haynes Point, there is, and it's really fun. I, I strongly recommend it. Um, so after mini golf, we went home and we put Gus to bed and we, we had a delicious dinner from sticky rice. Uh, so if you're sensing a theme, uh, it, it's basically that Beck and I love to eat. Um, and that's hundred percent true. Uh, good food equals a good birthday. Um, and so after dinner, um, I get an email notification on my phone and I opened it up and it's from my doctor and some results from some blood work that she had done um, had just come back. So I opened the results and it turns out that my cholesterol levels are very bad. Uh, to give you an idea, um, one thing they measure when they measure your cholesterol is your triglyceride level. Now, I don't know what your triglycerides are, but what I do know is that a normal level is a low three-digit number and my levels were a four-digit number. So, yeah, my cholesterol was bad, and my doctor basically recommended that I immediately start taking cholesterol medication. Now, cholesterol, um, high cholesterol, it runs in my family, so it wasn't a complete surprise, but it was a huge bummer to me on what was other, otherwise a really perfect birthday. And, of course, it, it got me thinking more and more that my days on earth are numbered. In the Bible, in the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it says this, You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this and that. This past year, becoming a dad in the midst of a global pandemic and starting cholesterol medication in my mid-30s, I've become much more aware that my life is a vanishing mist and that tomorrow is never guaranteed. And as I've been reflecting on this and considering what happens after we die, I've tended towards two different extremes, existential crisis on one hand and profound gratitude on the other. After a bit of Googling, I discovered that existential crisis is the term used by many to describe the anxiety and fear that one feels when contemplating their own mortality. And that anxiety is often coupled with questions about meaning, like what even is the point of living? And over the past year, I've definitely experienced my own existential crises. And when it happens, it typically what'll happen is I'll wake up in the middle of the night 
and I'll be overwhelmed by the thought that my life ultimately ends in oblivion, and that I will just one day, maybe even soon, just cease to be. And it's truly terrifying to me when it happens, and being a control freak, my immediate impulse is usually to reach for my phone and to Google things like consciousness or near-death experiences, things like that, thinking that maybe I'll stumble into some secret knowledge that will give me some special insight into what really happens after we die. But what I'm really doing is I'm grasping for control. But it's not something that I'm going to be able to research my way out of. So I'll often just lay in bed, wallowing in anxiety and dread. And on some occasions, after my Googling inevitably fails and my desperation increases, I, I turn to prayer. And I'll ask God for some comfort for my fear and my, of my own death and for some reassurance or hope or encouragement. On the other extreme, when I grasp just how short our lives really are, I find myself completely blown away with gratitude for all the glories of life, big and small. I savor the smell of a cup of coffee. I bask in the buttery morning light that sometimes fills our kitchen. And I delight in the songs of birds or the babbling of my son. And even the aches and pains that I increasingly feel in my body are like little miraculous gifts. And that intensity of gratitude doesn't always feel sustainable, but I've really been trying to lean into it when I can. So as I've been toggling between these extremes and wondering about death and life, I found myself considering Jesus's words in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, in my better moments, when I'm more buoyed by hope and gratitude, and even sometimes in the middle of the night when I'm weighed down by despair and anxiety, I've been asking Jesus to meet me. And specifically, I've been asking him to help me understand more what it means that he is the resurrection and the life. And what that means for how I think about my own death and how I think about my life. I'm also praying that I not be so preoccupied with this question that I forget to live or forget to love. Especially with baby Gus learning so many new things every day, I don't want to miss that because I'm stressing about something that I ultimately can't do anything about. Now, during the past year, I'm so grateful to have discovered the poetry of a contemporary Irish poet named Padraig Otuma, and I've been really encouraged by one poem in particular called The Facts of Life, and I think it does a good job summarizing my recent feelings about my most important questions, so I'd like to end by sharing it with you all. So this is The Facts of Life by Padraig Otuma. That you were born and you will die. That you will sometimes love enough and sometimes not. That you will lie if only to yourself. That you will get tired. That you will learn most from the situations you did not choose. That there will be some things that move you more than you can say. That you will live, that you must be loved that you will avoid questions most urgently in need of your attention, that you began as the fusion of a sperm and an egg of two people who once were strangers and may well still be, 
that life isn't fair, that life is sometimes good and sometimes even better than good, that life is often not so good, that life is real and if you can survive it, well, survive it well with love and art and meaning given where meaning's scarce, that you will learn to live with regret, that you will learn to live with respect, that the structures that constrict you may not be permanently constricting, that you will probably be okay, that you must accept change before you die, but you will die anyway. So you might as well live, and you might as well love. You might as well love. You might as well love. Our friends have given us a gift, uh, the gift of themselves, their stories, their vulnerability, their experiences and strivings with God. Your response may take any number of forms. It might be to thank them after the service. It might be to ask them uh, to pray for you and for your own questions. It might be for you to consider your own most important question, maybe, maybe even to share it with somebody.